0: Oh, man, I don't even know how to follow up to that. Anyway, hey, we're so glad that you're here this morning. If you're new to ACF, some of you are like, I brought grandma to church today. So that's good, grandma. I hope you enjoyed uh, a little taste of 2001, man. That's a throwback. I love that. I'm not going to diss you on the internet. I'm like, did they have the internet back in 2001? We did. We did have it. So anyway, if you're with us online, we love you. Let's welcome everybody who's with us online this morning. Thank you for being with us. Make sure you uh, let us know where you're watching from in the chat and how we can be praying for you as well. And here's the deal. We have a lot to celebrate as a church family today. As of this morning after the first service, we have seen 100 people get baptized at ACF Church this week since Easter. It's so good. Man, that is like to the glory of God, not to our glory. We've just seen God do incredible things since Easter. It was amazing gathering together with so many of you and with our community. And so, uh, man, there's just like there's an energy happening, I think, in our community, in the state of Alaska. You know, a lot of people are praying for revival. I think we're seeing that really in our midst is just people either coming back to faith or coming to faith for the first time, and so super excited uh, about that, and so I think uh, I think the mood has been set for our brand new series. Right, uh, we're talking about survival mode, and in case you're wondering, one of the things that we have as a value uh, as a church family, in fact, I was talking with a friend about this outside before service, is that in I think in a lot of church settings, people end up taking themselves too seriously and Jesus not seriously enough. But we want to be the kind of church that takes Jesus really seriously in ourselves not too seriously. And that's kind of how we do things. We want to have fun together and also really dig in and understand who Jesus is and live that in our lives. And so, so much to celebrate. And we're going to be talking about how over the past few years, it really has been a season of survival mode, just trying to get by. And we believe that God has more for us. Amen? Like we believe that God wants us to live a life of fullness and that there's more to life than simply getting by. In fact, I'll start with a question. Any military people in the room, raise your hand if you're military. Okay, so many of you are military. Have you ever done Arctic survival training? A few of you in there. Okay, I see a few of you uh, have experienced that joy. I have not. I have no desire to go and experience Arctic survival training. What I've heard is that really it's not about enjoying yourself. It's just about learning how to survive in a situation where maybe you're caught outdoors in the winter. So it's not about being comfortable or, or even really just having that much fun. It's really just about getting by. What I do know is hunting. I've been hunting, spent a lot of time in the woods in Alaska. And uh, years ago, when I came up to Alaska, I was like, I got I to eat when I'm out hunting. And so somebody said, hey, you need to get yourself some mountain houses. Have you ever had a mountain house? If you're not a hunter or outdoors person, you you might not know it, mountain houses are freeze-dried food. And, And so I went and got something, I think it was like spaghetti and meatballs, mountain house, and went up to the mountains and I'm out there and I opened up my first mountain house and poured in the hot water and I took my first bite and I was like, this has to be the best meal ever. This is the best food I have ever had in my entire life. I loved it. It was delicious Well, then like, I don't know, like a year ago, we lost power at our house, and my kids are, you know, trying to get flashlights, and we're trying to figure out what to do for dinner that evening, and one of the kids was like, Dad we should eat mountain houses. And I was like, oh kids, you are in for a treat. Mountain houses are the best food you will have in your entire life. And so we go upstairs and boil some water and pour it into the mountain houses. Then we like poured it out onto our our plates in the kitchen, you know, so it kind of looked like real food, uh, except it's not. And and, and then like we, we took our first bite and the kids were like, this is the worst. Like, this is terrible. Dad. What are you doing? Why are you trying to kill us with this food? And I, even I was like, why does it taste so different? Like, is it the same brand? Is it the same f-? And sure enough, it's the same meal in a different location. And, and here's the deal. I, I just I think our life can kind of be this way where we, we acclimate to a certain type of living, right? We acclimate to a certain way of life, and we don't even know what we're missing out on. And so just like that food, it tasted really good when you have nothing better to eat. But when you're in a situation where you could have more, you know that, man, I don't even want that. I want something better in my stomach. And the same is true, I think, of our lives. We can kind of acclimate to a life where we're not experiencing the fullness of the joy that God has for us. And, And I just believe that God wants more for us over the next four weeks. And so I want to ask you just to commit to being here at church every week for the next four weeks. I believe that if you invest that into your life, that God is going to grow you and challenge you in some new ways. I do believe the past two years have been tough. I think that we're kind of coming out of some things. Uh, I'm excited this week. I'm traveling and no more mask mandates. So I'm a little excited on the airplane to not have to worry about it. That'll be nice. Uh, People are calling this season sort of the the post-COVID malaise. And the word malaise just means a general feeling of unhealth or discomfort. That like we've moved through that season of kind of survival mode, but now just generally we are unhealthy people. I mean, as a culture, we've gained some bad habits over the past couple of years. Maybe our eating habits haven't been great, or your posting on social media habits haven't been really great. Uh, I think a lot of people have less motivation today. It's interesting, we are less... Motivated, and yet in many ways we are more entitled than, than, than we were before. And so less mo- motivated, more entitled. People are not happy with their jobs. A recent uh, survey showed that over 50% of people who are in their current workplace are looking for a different job. So, I mean, think about what that does to a workplace culture when half of your coworkers are like, I'm trying to get out of here, but I can't. So, or, or just haven't found the right thing. And so it's really affecting us. And, and, and when you, you guys know this, when you're trying to move on to the next thing, does it make you really present where you are? Like, does it really make you give everything to this moment? No, of course not. You're moving on to what's next. And so all of this is just survival mode, or in, in another word, you could kind of call it maintenance mode. Uh, We've been kind of living in maintenance mode, like just just trying to get by, not making improvements, giving as little as possible. And here's a great way of describing it, is that we are tired, bored, and uninspired as a culture. We are tired, bored, and uninspired. And when this maintenance mode kind of gets into our lives, think about what it does. Like if you are a married person living in maintenance mode, what is your ultimate goal? Stay married, Right? If I can just stay married, that's good. How many of you married people hope that there's more to marriage than that, right? Like, than just staying married. If you have kids, your maintenance mode is just like, the goal at the end of the day is that I haven't strangled my children, right? Like, that's a win. That's the big win of my life. I haven't killed my kids. If it's school, the goal is, can I just pass? Can I just pass the class, right? If it's with work, the goal is, can I just keep my job? I want to do as little as possible just to keep me from getting fired. Uh, If it's money, it's like maintenance mode is, can I just pay the bills? All I want to do is just kind of maintain it and, and get the bills paid. And if it's with God, I would say maintenance mode is, how do I just keep God off my back? How do I just keep God from coming in and maybe taking something from my life? So can I just do something, be just religious enough to keep God off my back? This is what happens when we live in survival mode, but Jesus shows up, and he says this in John 10, and I just, this is a key passage for the series. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it, everybody say this word with me, abundantly, abundantly. What, What if you could have an abundant life? Like, not just to exist, but to actually thrive in your life. This is the promise, and Jesus is like, there's a thief, and this thief is out to take your life from you, this thief is out to get you to live in maintenance mode. And, and to some degree, you might go, well, I'm better than others or, or doing better than I was, and that's fine. But, but we're not setting the standard of what Christ has for us. We want to go after something bigger and better that there is more than what we see. You see, some of you will wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to crack open your mountain house of a life and you're going to say, this is as good as it gets. And my prayer for you is that you will take a taste of that and that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and say, I have more for you than this. I have something better for your life than this. And so if you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 4. We're going to talk through a story here in just a minute um, that is one of the most famous moments in the life of Jesus. It's the moment that Jesus calms the storm. And it's interesting, I've been preaching uh, here at ACF for a little over seven years now, and I have never preached on this text. And so I'm really excited to talk about it. But this is just a, a powerful moment where we see the power of God. So I'll start this, kind of, this idea off with a story. When Amanda and I first got married, we were living in uh, Colorado, Grand Junction, Colorado. Um, we weren't making much money, just kind of getting by. And this couple from our church, um, they, they were like, hey, we want to bless you guys. And they're, they're some of the most generous people that I've ever met. They grew up really poor, and now he was a doctor and doing really well for himself. And so their number one goal was be a blessing to people. And here we are, new into ministry, young couple, and they're like, hey, we want to help you out with this house. It's just a small house, but be perfect for you. And they, they gave me what I needed to remodel the house. And so we moved into this place where enjoying life and just kind of getting used to being a pastor and being in ministry. Well, then tax season rolled along which, like it has for most of you, and, and what I didn't realize is that when you're in ministry, your taxes look a little different. You have to pay quarterly tax payments, and that you're essentially self-employed. So you have to pay self-employment tax, and so I get on TurboTax and do my thing like I always do, and I normally get, like, a refund, and this year it gets to the end, and a little, you know, red number comes up in the corner and says, you owe $3,500. And I about puked on the table. I was just like, oh my goodness, we can't can't afford this, what are we gonna do? And uh, later that day I was talking with this couple and they were just kinda asking us how we were doing, and so I just man, I was sharing, I was like, Man, I was really overwhelmed. I just didn't know that my taxes should have been done a little different. And I, you know, now I know, but now we got this bill. And so man, we were really frustrated and, and really struggling, like, Oh God, well, I'm just trying to serve you, you know, I'm just trying to be a pastor and serve in ministry, and and that's costing me thirty five hundred bucks. And I get into the office on Monday and there's this envelope on my on my desk, and I open it up and it's it's from this couple and it uh, has a little note, and, and uh, it says, God is in control. We hope this helps. God is in control. We hope this helps, and behind the note was a check for $3,500, and we were just like, whoa. We just ne- I'd never experienced somebody doing something like that, and what that meant to me for them to see a need and just to meet it, but beyond that was this idea that, wow, God really does watch out for us, and, and, and he does it through all kinds of different ways. God is in control. Now, this idea of God is in control, this is something that Christians love to say, right? Like you tell your Christian friend, like, oh, man, life's really hard right, right now. They go, it's okay. God is in control, right? Like, man, I just lost my job. It's okay. God is in control. Now, now this is a true statement, but what does it mean that God is in control? It's almost as like, like my life is like a car, and, and God is at the wheel, driving the car of my life, right? But have any of you ever felt this, that like you look at your life and you see how messed up it is or how messed up the world is and you think if God is in control, then how did he pass his driver's test, right? Like, like if God is in control, he better not get the safe driver discount from State Farm, right? Like God is running my life into the ground. If God is in control, God needs to learn how to drive. Have you ever felt that way? And that might sound a little, like, harsh, but that, that's how we feel sometimes. As we look at things, we go, man, God is in control, but, but what does that mean, right? I think we have to define what it means that God is in control when the world is full of suffering pain. When things are being taken from us, when life isn't the way we'd hope it would. Well, today I'm talking all about what it means to grasp for control. To grasp for control. And, and, and that is the tendency when life seems out of control is to grasp for control. When things seem messed up, we want to try to fix it and do what we can to make it better. And a lot of times what this shows is that we actually have a distrust towards God. That we're not really sure that, like, if God is in control, that He's a very good driver. And that He's taking my life to a place that is ultimately what's best. 1 John 1 5, I think, gives us a foundation for who is the one that's driving my life. And it says, this is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in Him, Is no darkness at all. So, what you need to know this is this. If you look at your life and you're like, man, if God's been in control, there's been some bad stuff that's happened. And and you start to wonder, like, who is this God when when he's been in control and these terrible things have happened? And some of you need to know this and, and maybe even write this down is the idea that God is over evil, but he's not the author of evil. You need to know that God is over evil. Throughout the Bible, we see situations where God takes evil and uses it for good. God is the redeemer of evil, but God is not the author of evil. And so we need to understand how God fits into all of that. When we say God is in control, we can accidentally make God the author of the evil in our lives. But don't misunderstand this. When you see redemption and you go, man, God really used that evil for good, it doesn't mean that that evil was God's first and best for you, Okay. In fact, I remember somebody came to me one time after a church service and I was talking about something similar like this and she was like, oh man, you know, yeah, like I I, uh, got pregnant really young and then had an abortion and then went through all this stuff and now I get to work with women who are walking through uh, unplanned pregnancies and she goes, she looks back and she goes, I see now that, that my story was God's plan for my life. And I was like, no, 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 you've misunderstood. Your story is God redeemed what was broken in your life. Your story is that God redeems and heals what was messed up in your life. And so we have to understand that, that God is in control and that, 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 that God is good through and through. He's only good all, that, all the time. That's who that God is. So what do you do when life seems out of control? How do you move forward? Well, my tendency is to grasp for control, to, to grab the wheel, right? Now, I'm currently teaching a 15-year-old girl how to drive, so pray for me. Um, it's been a journey. She's actually a really, really good driver. Um, but there have been two instances so far where I have actually grabbed the steering wheel. Uh, one time was when we were pulling into the garage and she was about to clip the side of the garage and uh, I didn't want to have to redo it. and So I grabbed the steering wheel. And, uh, and I saved the trim on my garage. Another situation was when we were in the middle of the road. Uh, she was getting ready to kind of change lanes and, uh, or cross over the lanes. And the light was green, but there wasn't an arrow. And so I grabbed the steering wheel. I was like, no, you can't, you can't do that. There's cars coming. We're going to die. And so, um, <laughs> so I grabbed the steering wheel. and But I grabbed for control. And, and really, what does it mean when we grab for control? It's, it's a distrust in who's driving, isn't it? Now, when you're a 15-year-old, girl trying to drive and learn how to do this, that makes sense. Uh, there can be a little bit of like hey, you're still learning here. But what does it mean when we try to grab control from God? What does it mean when we try to control our lives? Well, a lot of times it means that we don't trust him. Now, there can be, I think, good control in our lives. There are times to, to actually control parts of our lives where it's actually a good thing. Uh, one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is something we call Self-control. And how many of you know that self-control exercised is a good thing, right? Like when you're frustrated with something at work and you're talking to an employee or a coworker, and these words kind of start coming to your mouth, you exercise self-control. How many of you know that like when you're eating a little bit of cold stones that like if you're thinking about the like it, the love it, the gotta have it, you better choose the like it, right? Because I mean they're going to pile that thing on top, at least in my world, like that's exercising some self-control. It's good to exercise self-control. Self control. If you're out hunting this year and you see a moose and it's a four brow tine unit and this one only has three and he looks like he's not quite 50 inches, you got that itchy trigger finger, you're going to exercise some self control, right? Because you don't want to go to jail. So you exercise self control. That's a good kind of control. But then there's bad control. And a bad kind of control is when we try to manipulate God or our circumstances or other people in order to change the outcome so that we can experience less discomfort. So I want you to, I'm going to read this again, and I want you to just ask yourself, do I do this? A bad control is when I try to manipulate God, our circumstances, or other people, in order to change the outcome so that I can experience less discomfort. Have you ever done that? I know I've been guilty of that before, and I want you to think in your life, where is it that you are trying to control the situation? What is it that you're trying to control? Maybe who is it that you're trying to control? Now, as a parent, I know that one of the things that I do a lot is just praying for my kids, right? The thing I want more than anything as a parent is that my children would love Jesus. That's more than anything, is that my kids would love Jesus. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, like, this is an area that just is an example of something that if you're a Christian and you have children, that you can kind of struggle with what to do, right? Because, like, when my child is nine years old and they go, Dad, do I got to go to church? The answer is, get dressed, go to church, right? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You're a nine-year-old. But when that kid turns into 16, 17, 18, and they're like, I don't want to go to church, you have, a, you have a problem on your hands, Right? Because you're going, I want them to hear the word of God. I want them to be around other believers. I want them at least to kind of have this injection of, of, of a gathering of other believers. But the reality is, you cannot force someone into loving Jesus. You cannot manipulate someone into loving Jesus. And so pray for parents as they try to navigate what to do and how to, how to deal with that. Like, when is it okay to, 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 to ask your child or, or even force your child to do something? And when is it not? Like, when, it, when is it like, I gotta take my hands off the wheel for a minute. I gotta trust that, like, Man, God can speak to my kids in ways that I can't. The Holy Spirit does things that I can never do. And and ultimately, God loves my kids more than I do. Which I'll be honest, I love my kids a lot. And that's hard to imagine, but it's true. Is that God loves our kids. Where is it in your life that you're like, man, I just, I'm I'm grabbing the wheel because I don't trust the driver. Here's the truth is that when fear is driving, control will take over. Where is there fear in, in your life? Where you find the fear, you will find the tendency towards control. Where is there fear in your life? Fear, we know, is not from God. Fear, in fact, throughout the Bible, we have multiple commands. Do not be afraid. This is something we are told not to do. Is That, that you can't actually trust God and be afraid at the same time, right? So fear is not from God, but when you're in fear, control will ultimately take over. And you know that you're controlling a situation when you try to manipulate it before you've ever prayed about it? Is there something in your life you're like, man, I'm, I'm not even running to just trust God with this. I'm trying to manipulate it before I'm actually going to him in prayer. Well, Mark chapter 4, I think this story teaches us a little bit about how to respond when life seems out of control. And this story, uh, really around church circles, I think is a little misunderstood uh, I, I think the story has been all about one thing, is that when Jesus calms the storm, that Jesus can calm the storms in your life. That's kind of been the message that I think a lot of us have heard. Jesus calms the storm, so Jesus is going to calm the storms in your life. But as you read the story and see it for what it is, I think you're going to see that there's more to the story than that. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's been teaching about the kingdom of God. The disciples have been listening, but we don't know if they've actually been hearing what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus plans this, t- this little test. I think that Jesus knew the storm was coming. I think he knew what he was walking the disciples into when uh, he, he took them out on the boat. And here's what we read in verse 35. It says, on that day when evening, evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So here we go. They're out on the Sea of Galilee, which uh, this is a larger body of water, about seven miles by 13 miles wide. And and even the the topography of this area, as I was reading about it this week, was saying that, you know, like this is where storms would happen just because of the way the mountains and the the wind and the, the different weather systems would collide. Major storms would show up. In these places. And if you've ever been out like on a fishing charter in Alaska or just out on a boat and, and a storm has come up out of nowhere, it is terrifying. Because you're like, I got, I'm just out here floating. And like, if, I, if I'm not in this boat, I am done. I am sinking to the bottom, right? And so you've got these guys. Now remember, they are commercial fishermen, and if you've ever met a commercial fisherman in Alaska, these are hardy people. Uh, most commercial fishermen do not scare easily, right? Like, they're used to being in bad weather situations, and they know how to, how to just kind of keep focused in those type of situations. And so these are commercial fishermen that are hanging out on the boat. But, I mean, this is bad. So, I mean, this is really bad. It's a, this is a really bad situation. I have been out on some, some stormy seas. I have never watched the boat fill up with water. That's never happened but they are literally watching the boat fill up with water. They are freaked out, and this is a we-are-going-to-die moment. This is not just like, I'm getting a little seasick. Jesus. Would you kind of like calm the waves and the wind because it's like, you know, messing? No, it's like this is I'm going to die. And here's what you need to know is that I talk a lot about this, this reality that we, we choose to follow Jesus, and we think life's just going to get better. Some of you got—maybe you were here today, and you got baptized on Easter— And this week has been the worst week of your life. And I just want you to know that if that has been the case, welcome to the family. Like, this is the journey that we're on, is that as soon as you start to be a threat to the enemy, he wants to threaten you. As soon as you start to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness, darkness wants to come up against you. And so you can expect that the attacks will begin to multiply as you step out in faith in your life. And so this is a bad situation where they are literally with Jesus. Jesus is on the boat and the storm is filling up the boat. So know this, that if you're struggling this week and you're like, man, I I just took a step of faith. I chose to go public with my faith and follow Jesus. Maybe it's not real because life's just really hard right now. I just want you to see that if life is really hard right now, maybe it's more real than you think. Maybe Maybe your decision is more authentic than you realize and maybe you're more of a threat than you know to the kingdom of darkness. And so they are in a bad situation. We're going to die. Verse 38, it says, But he, being Jesus, was in the stern. He's just laying in the boat, which to me means if the boat's filling up with water, Jesus is literally sleeping in the water. Like he's laying in the water, and then it says, asleep on a cushion. I don't know why we get to know that Jesus was asleep on a cushion. Apparently he was very comfortable because he throws in that little detail. It's like Jesus was just putting his head, he's wrapped up in his little Snuggie, and he's just like a sleeping, sleeping on a cushion. And it says, And they woke him and said to him, listen to the words they use. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Think about the way that they're phrasing this. They don't wake Jesus and say, Jesus, can you kind of supernaturally pump the boat out or do something to fix this situation that we're in here? They say, what's wrong with you? Don't you care? That we are all going to die, Jesus? And some of you, I feel like, man, our prayer lives could be so much more rich if we could just be honest with God like that. Because some of you walked in here today carrying something, dealing with something, and you haven't been willing to say it, but if you were honest, you would look at Jesus and say, don't you care about my life? It wasn't supposed to be this way. I didn't ask for this in my life. You see, this is a This is an accusation of the character of Jesus that they're making. Don't you care? Because struggle and suffering must mean that God doesn't care. That's the assumption that we tend to make. That's the assumption that they are making. They don't realize that Jesus is using this moment to develop them in ways that no other moment possibly could. Sometimes these moments feel like abandonment. Sometimes the boat is filling up and it feels like abandonment. And I wonder when Jesus woke up, if they were like just kind of looking for someone else to freak out with them. Do you ever just kind of gravitate to somebody else who can just freak out about life with you? Like you just want somebody else to kind of, kind of commiserate with you in the suffering, and Jesus doesn't want any part of it. He's not going to commiserate with them in their suffering, right? Jesus knows that he has a plan. Jesus, don't you care about my suffering? I think Jesus knew the storm was coming. I think Jesus was at peace and understood his power over that situation. And I think the reason that Jesus hadn't come out of the stern was because he knew the outcome. You have a God that knows where your life is going. and Isn't it so good to know that you don't surprise him? That that mistake you made doesn't surprise him? That what's, the, the, the diagnosis that you just realized, like, that, that doesn't surprise God. He sometimes doesn't come out because he knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be with you through the journey. And so I want you to write down a few things to do when life seems out of control. And in this situation, maybe do a little bit of the opposite of what the disciples do. But the first thing we want to do is build your confidence in God's provision. When life seems out of control, we want to build our confidence because the disciples have no confidence in Jesus in this moment. They don't believe that he's going to care for them. And so what does it mean to be confident in the the provision of God? Well, we know when we're not because we try to control the situation, right? We know we're not because we put our integrity on the line so that we can try to get ahead in the situation. But ultimately, control is an absence of confidence in God. When you're trying to control others or your situation or your life, it's an absence of confidence in God. So how do we train this? How do we learn this? Well, the Bible gives us a few things, like disciplines that we can work into our lives, which everybody loves the word discipline, don't you? Like happy church word, discipline. But discipline is a good thing. It's an important thing. And there are these things throughout the Bible that, that the Bible teaches us to, to actually begin to discipline ourselves to, to develop confidence in God. And the first one we learn about is right from the creation story. God creates the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rests. And that's where we see this idea of the Sabbath be instituted. And the idea of the Sabbath is just a a 24-hour period where you cease to produce. 24-hour period where you're just like, I'm not going to produce anything today. I'm not going to make anything happen. I'm not going to force anything forward today because when my life is out of control, I'm really proactive. Like, I'll get in it and try to fix the situation. Or or if I'm fearful, I'll try to kind of get ahead of the game. But this this one day a week, we just go, I'm just going to trust God for 24 hours. I'm going to rest. We know that God didn't rest on the seventh day because he was tired. He rested because he knew that that would give humanity a rhythm for their lives that would be sustainable. I mean, is there a wonder why we live in a society just overrun with anxiety And everybody's trying to pop pills for anxiety medication and just trying to get through the day. And there's a reason for that. Nobody Sabbaths. Nobody rests, right? And if we do, we go like, okay, well, I went to church. Just so you know, going to church is not a Sabbath, okay? You went to church. That's great. I hope you enjoy just being together with the family of God. But that is not a Sabbath. It's a day where you say, you know what? I'm not going to go out and I'm not going to work the fields because ultimately God is Lord of the harvest in every single way. Like, I can put seeds in the ground, but I can't make the rain come. I'm always at his mercy no matter what. And so I'm going to trust for the day that God is my provider in every single way. This is the idea throughout the Bible of tithing and giving, right? Uh, If you don't know what tithe is, it's it's that we choose to give our first and best, our first 10% to the ministry of God. And again, like this is something we're like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Well, again, that is a way of training your heart to trust in the provision of God. And anybody in the room that trusts God financially has story after story that they could share with you about how they chose to trust God and God provided. Let me ask you, how are you going to learn that lesson if you don't, if you don't choose to trust him? Like how are you going to grow in, in understanding God's provision if you don't trust him? And so here's what I want to ask you to do. It might be in another area of your life. I don't know what it is. Like, where are you trying to control things? I want you to just ask yourself, what would I do if Jesus were actually trustworthy? Just think about that. How would I act different towards my kids, towards my finances, towards my time, towards my workplace? How would I do things differently if Jesus were actually trustworthy? Because the disciples are losing their minds. And again, that desire to control... Is an absence of confidence in God. Verse 39 goes on, it says, And he he awoke. So good good news, Jesus woke up. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So, the second thing I want you to consider doing is to choose faith in the face of fear. What does this actually mean? Like, In this moment, it seems like Jesus is kind of being a little insensitive. I mean, these guys think they're going to die, and Jesus is like, what's wrong with you? Do you not have any faith? I mean, imagine in your life, like, whatever you're dealing with, if Jesus sat down with you, and he goes, what's wrong? Like, why do you fear? Do you still have no faith? Now, for them, think about this. They had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. They'd seen him for who he is. It's seen him work miraculous things. And so at this point, they should have some stronger faith. Listen, you need to know this. Faith is a journey, friends. Like you don't start following Jesus and have massive faith, okay? You start with a little bitty faith, and that's absolutely okay. If you're here and you got baptized last week and you're like, my faith's little bitty faith, Brian, that's okay. The Bible says like little bitty faith can move mountains. So God will multiply your little bitty faith and use it for incredible things. And so that's, that's great. But as you live with Jesus in your life, if your faith is not developing, and it's five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years in, and your faith is still little bitty faith, there's a problem, friends. And the problem is typically that there's a lack of obedience in your life. Because what obedience does is it builds your faith, okay? In fact, if you read in Hebrews chapter 11, which um, we know as the hall of faith, celebrates different men and women who have been faithful to God over the years, there is not one of them, where their faith is celebrated as like an emotion they feel. Because here's here's what you need to know, is that faith is not a feeling, it's an action, okay? So it's like Abraham uh, was faithful, had faith, he was celebrated because of his faith, because he chose to walk into the promised land. Noah had faith, right? He had faith not because he felt an emotion, but because he built a boat during a drought, right? That's some serious faith. And so there's some Christians who are like, man, I have have great big faith in God. The answer is, what does your life look like? Because if you have, like, faith as an emotion, as a feeling, without obedience, I promise you, your faith is very small. But God wants to grow your faith, and the way to grow your faith is to obey him, to honor him, and to trust him, and to choose faith in the face of fear. Is there something in your life where there's fear, but you're not being faithful? promise you, if you start to be faithful in the face of fear, your confidence in God will begin to grow. Where do you need to sacrifice some comfort to grow your faith? Where where, where do you need to kind of stretch yourself? And, And then I just, I just know when you start to do that, you'll see God show up. A friend of mine was telling me a story the other day, and remember Easter, like the week before, we gave you these five little invite cards to invite people to Easter. I don't know how you did with that. Some of you gave all of them away and came back to church and asked for more. That's what I do know. And so this friend of mine, he was like, I really wanted to invite a friend to Easter, but he's like, I was freaked out. I I was like, I didn't know what it would do to the friendship. And he had all these scenarios popping through his head. And so he's at work with his card, standing at his locker, and there's his friend next to him, and he's like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to invite my friend. And so he like shuts the locker, and he's like, hey, man, I want to invite you to Easter. And he's bracing himself for like the impact like, oh, I'll tell you what's wrong with all you Christians. Like, I don't know what he had in his mind, but we start to build these things up as huge, but he's like, I'm just going to take a step of faith, invite this friend to Easter, and the friend looked him in the eye, and he says, no one has ever invited me to church. Ever. Now, I'll tell you guys, like, I know as a pastor, I get up here and say, invite your friends to church, and you're like, yeah, he's just trying to get butts in the seats. Like, like I, they would never say yes to me. Like, you have friends, I, I swear to you that no one has ever invited to church, let alone shared the good news of Jesus with them. And so again, this is, there's just stuff going on here that you won't ever see it. He was telling me the story. He was so excited that I could just see his faith growing because he chose to be obedient to God in that moment. The story continues on. Verse 41, it says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So think about that question. Their image of Jesus wasn't compatible with who he actually was. The idea of G, the, I, I, their idea of him helping them, I don't know what they thought. is He was going to get like a bucket and start dumping the water out, but they had never expected that he would stand up there and calm the wind and the waves. And so here's what you need to know. Build your confidence in God's provision. Choose faith in the face of fear. And the third thing you need to write down is this. Get a bigger God. Some of you need to get a bigger God. I read a book years ago. I'd encourage you to go find it. It's called uh, Your God is Too Small. It's just a little book, but it's a really great read because it challenges the, the, the perspective that we have on God, that we have this small view of God. If we're honest, we fear our circumstances, but not our God. And you just sense they looked at Jesus. Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves. Can you imagine? It going from chaos and the boat is sinking to just glass, and the clouds part, and Jesus says, hey, I've been with you the whole time. I promised I would take you to the other, over to the other side like, like I gave you my word, and yet you guys continued to fear. See, their view of God was too small. It's too small. They needed to build their confidence in who he was. They needed to get to know the God that's driving their life, and I would encourage you to do the same. The only way you're going to get a bigger God is if you start to get to know the God that's driving your life. If you get to know the God that's at the wheel, the God that really is in control over the world, that's why we get together every single week here. That's why we're part of small groups throughout the week. That's why we have youth culture and 1825 and all the things we do because we want you to get to know the God that's driving your life. Otherwise, you'll be full of fear. And why wouldn't you be? Because you don't know how big he is. You don't know if he really can handle your struggle. So here's what I, like, this is just an example. I get on airplanes, and I don't love to fly. Some of you know that. And every time I get on an airplane, I do the same thing. I, I take the step through that first little corridor, and when I'm supposed to turn right to go down and get in my seat, I always look left into the cockpit of the airplane. I want to see the pilot. And uh, sometimes the door's shut, and it freaks me out. But sometimes it's open, and, and there he is. And wh- what am I looking, I'm like, I'm, I, I'm sizing the dude up, Right? I'm like, does he have ketchup on his shirt? Does he look like he hasn't slept in a little while? You know, like, like who is this person? I want him to be like tucked in, awake, ready to go. So if you're a pilot here, just do me a favor, at least act like you're really awake when you're up front. to Just give me a little bit of, a little bit of peace in my heart. But I'm trying to size him up because I'm going like, my life is going to be in your hands for the next two hours and 45 minutes. I want to know that you're up to the task. And here's the truth. Said, until your God is bigger than your storm, you will always grasp for control. Until your God is bigger than your storm, you'll always grasp for control. We know the story continues, and that these are the same disciples that watch Jesus go to the cross. Talk about a moment where they felt like things went out of control. They're like, man, Jesus, it was going really well. Like, you're at the top of your game. You were a superhero, a rock star, and now you're crucified on a cross. I imagine they just thought, things are out of control. But then when Jesus came up out of the grave, it was a statement to the world that if I can conquer sin in death, I can take care of you in whatever you're dealing with in life. I'm big enough for whatever circumstances you're walking through right now. If Jesus can conquer the cross, maybe he can provide food for your family. If Jesus can conquer the cross, maybe he can give you peace and comfort through times of turmoil internally. Maybe, maybe he can heal your marriage if he can conquer the cross. Maybe he can heal your depression. Jesus can conquer the cross. Maybe he can lead your kids to Jesus. What could Jesus do if he were actually trustworthy? And the answer is he could be resurrected from the dead, which means he can do all things. So what's your next step today? I'd encourage you I want, to, I want you to grab your action card off your seat here and you might be sitting on this and you might have to turn around and find one somewhere but I just encourage everybody in the room to uh, take part in this if you would. And if you're new to ACF and this seems a little strange to you, this is just something we started doing a few years ago is uh, you just tear off this little action card. What we realized is that a lot of people leave church here and as soon as you get out these doors, it's all about lunch. And I get that. Or as soon as you shut off the computer, your brain's somewhere else. But But I want God to continue the work that he's doing in my heart today, don't you? And so what we want to do is just text you this week. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to spam you. We're just going to text you an encouragement about what God is doing in your heart and just let you know we're praying for you. So maybe your first step is to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Is that you? Maybe you've realized that you don't trust God. You say you've got great faith, but your life doesn't look like obedience. So the honest truth is you don't have a relationship with this Jesus. And you're like, man, maybe... Even in my doubts, God could give me an ability to follow him. I just promise you that's the case. Maybe you need to pray each morning this week about your fears. Just start the day. Before you grab your iPhone, start surfing Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is that you get on. Like, before you touch any social media or technology, just to stop and pray about your fears. First, to get yourself trained to trust God. Maybe you need to confess your control of others. Uh, first to God, and then maybe to them. Is there somebody in your life that you've been kind of controlling of that you need to go to them and say, I'm really sorry I have not trusted God with you. I've not lived like God is actually trustworthy, and so I want to apologize that I've been really manipulative and controlling in this situation because I, I was just, I was scared. I had fear in my life, so I'm just confessing that. Maybe you need to do that. And the fourth thing is this. Maybe today is your day that you stop trying to control what anybody else thinks of you, and you put all your focus on what God thinks of you, and you choose today to get baptized. So we have this tank on the stage, and uh, today we're opening this up again, and we realized from some of you that uh, maybe last week was not the right week for you to get baptized, or you just didn't feel comfortable in the crowd, or whatever it was. We realized we just wanted to give you a chance again today to make that decision, to go public with your faith. Whether you've been a believer for five minutes or five years or 50 years, there's no better time to be obedient to Christ than right now. So I want to encourage you to take that step today. We've got everything you need outside. You can go out these doors as we stand and worship in a minute. And we've got shorts and t-shirts and everything you possibly need to get baptized today if God is calling you to do that. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us. Father, thank you so much that, uh, that you are greater than our circumstances. That you really are in control. And God, even when things seem really messed up in our lives, that you are over those things. God, that every good and bad thing that happens in this world passes through your hands. Thank you, God, that you love our family members and our friends more than we do. And God, that you have a power that we do not to speak into their lives. Thank you, God, that you have always been our provider and that though we try to control our circumstances, God, you are the one that provides the harvest. So, God, we trust you in, in all of the areas of our lives that, that maybe we haven't to this point. Jesus, forgive us for living like you aren't trustworthy. We believe today and just speak together that you are trustworthy and you proved it all the way to death. If you can be trusted to go to the cross, we can trust you with our lives. So God, I pray that you continue to just plant this seed in our hearts this week, God, that we would live free and at peace today with a, with a world of turmoil, and that we'd move beyond survival mode into a place of thriving and abundance, because God, we trust you. We really do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.